This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. Welcome in to episode number 109 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. We are back and at it early on this Sunday morning, the beginning of May, and we are one day away from some Stanley Cup playoff action. Oddly enough, actually, there is one more regular season game actually going on today, if I'm not mistaken. I think it's a reschedule for the Winnipeg Jets. I forget who they're playing, but it doesn't mean anything for anything. That's all I remember. Let me think it's Seattle. Yeah, I think it. I think you are right. They do play at two o'clock Eastern or, or yeah, one o'clock central time. I was trying to figure out how um, time works. Um, the voice you're hearing next to me, as always, Mr. Nick Maxson. Nick, welcome back. Uh, we are happy to have you uh, and happy to have all of our listeners after Nick and I took a week off, got a lot of things done, took a little bit of time for ourselves as well, too. And now we are back and at it for some playoff action and very excited for what the playoffs are going to bring. We're going to talk a little bit about that or a lot about that obviously related to the Minnesota Wild and their first-round matchup against the St. Louis Blues. And then our extra ice session, we're going to talk a little bit about Dryden McKay. We're going to talk about the thing you think we're going to talk about, but we're going to talk about it in terms of how do we actually really evaluate players when it comes to some of the medical background related to the way that we test players. So it should be an interesting show, and we will start, as always, with Center Ice View News and Notes and the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup, Noah, and, well, two weeks of things that happened, and, yeah. A lot of things that did happen. So let's get everybody up to speed, <laughs> shall we? So biggest news of the last 14 days, uh, passing to Montreal, uh, Canadians icon Guy Lafleur, age 70, uh, legendary to say the least. Uh, yeah. 1971, where he was drafted, 379 point, 118 game career in the QMJHL. Uh, for those not familiar, uh, that is the essentially the french the french side of the ohl side but yeah the big uh junior yeah. league team um few big names have come out of the qmghl uh, maybe Sidney crosby maybe nathan mckinnon just name a few um lafleur yeah. was a five-time stanley cup champion three-time art ross and ted Lindsay winner um two-time heart trophy winner single time con Smythe award winner during his time in the nhl including a 60 goal season 
Um, All-time assist leader for Montreal and points leader at second in goals, only behind Maurice the Rocket Richard. Um, another name that maybe has a trophy named after him. The reason being is uh, that uh, he probably would have won the Maurice Richard trophy a couple of times too, but the uh, trophy actually wasn't invented. So oddly enough, the guy that he was chasing in Montreal history, um, he probably would have had a couple of trophies named after him too as well. But Yes, definitely for sure. Uh, 1988 Hall of Fame inductee, uh, number 10, was retired by the Canadians in 1985. Uh, this last season, uh, the Canadians officially secured the best draft lottery odds after finishing in last place this season, although it kind of was a different story towards the end of the uh, season as uh, they uh, got Marty St. Louis behind the bench. They seemed to actually started to play a little bit better, so hard to think that they were even worse than they were, so um, Canadians yeah. were the first team since the Carolina Hurricanes in 2003 to finish last place in the league a year after making the Stanley Cup final. And the draft is set to take place, of all places, Montreal at the Bell Center, uh, July 7th and 8th. Uh, the Kingston Frontiac Center, Shane Wright, um, is the projected first overall selection. Uh, he's been, uh, I suppose, the projected first-round selection for the last couple of seasons here, Noah, and um, would be very hard to see him not go number one overall. Uh, and how about uh, staying in Canada where, yeah, they, they, need, they need some help. They do. Um, it's uh, it's going to be an interesting little draft, kind of an interesting draft class. I don't think it's the strongest class in the world, but definitely some guys I think that maybe could fly under the radar and could really turn into uh, some players that could be some key players for franchises. I think that's always what makes it interesting about when you have a draft class that has a lot of unknowns when it comes to seeing how guys are going to develop into the next level. I think this is one of those draft classes where I think the middle – you know, from maybe about pick number five to about 15, I think you might get some interesting ones where we'll look back in a couple of years and say, wow, they drafted that guy. Imagine if they would have taken, you know, so-and-so. We have that every year, but I feel like this is a draft class that really could have a lot of intrigue a couple of years down the road for the National Hockey League. Uh, speaking of guys that uh, um, not necessarily drafted by any means, but still really good at hockey, other big story of the past couple of weeks, recent Hobie Baker winner and newly minted Toronto Marley, Dryden McKay, um, signing his contract. But in mid-April, McKay uh, essentially announcing that he accepted a six-month U.S. ADA sanction due to a doping violation after a positive test arose, arose when he was an alternate member for the United States Olympic team. Uh, so he originally faced a four-year ban, and the sanction was reduced to half a year after the substance was actually found and identified. So he did declare um, this substance in the beginning, but they did find out that there was uh, osterine. Um, that was part of his vitamin D3 immune booster that McKay used for uh, COVID-19 that was improperly labeled or improperly marked with this particular substance. Um, and this is crazy uh, to me. And we're going to touch on this, obviously, in the in the tone of the show. But uh, this uh, D3 immune booster that the Minnesota State Netminder he took um, contained about a trillionth of a gram of osterine. For those who are wondering, that's a decimal followed by 11 zeros and a one. Like, that is insane <laughs> how how little of an amount that actually is um that provided obviously no performance benefit for dryden in the 10 days that uh, he took it so um kind of an interesting story um but nonetheless really doesn't have a ton of bearing on dryden's career thankfully uh he's eligible to use toronto toronto's facilities on august 25th and he can play for the marlies when they begin on october 11th so uh obviously um Good to see Dryden get his shot at the next level. And, uh, you know, 
I guess good on the NCAA for not really disrupting this process too much and not too much and understanding that it really didn't have any bearing on his NCAA career. And uh, I also obviously seen the Hobie Baker foundation say that they're not going to strip him of his Hobie Baker title as well too. Um, you know, I, I think the hockey world handled this appropriately uh, just kind of a difficult thing to see how he's been kind of drug under the bus by some people who didn't take the time to read it. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, I, I think uh, there's, there's a lot to unpack here, but I think, I think I want to say this for later on the show, just because there's, there, there's a false dichotomy that's here as well, Noah, um, that uh, mm-hmm. we're kind of missing in this. Um, and there's also, uh, to me, a, a rock and a hard place also for the doping uh, agency as well as the NCAA. So um, yeah. they're the, the true, the true nature of the beast is not actually going to get fixed. That's the problem yeah. with this. Um, and I think that's the most frustrating about this. And what's more intriguing and more frustrating is that there are likely to be more cases like this. Um, and unfortunately, this could result in harsher penalties for people who maybe aren't uh, deserving of those penalties. So uh, but we'll do a deeper dive a little bit later, I believe. So uh, with that being said, let's do some quick hits, right? Um, NHLPA set to uh, begin um, a search for the replacement of executive director Donald Fear. Um, Donald Fair. I don't know why I keep seeing Fear. Fair. Maybe I'm fearing of the morning <laughs> today. Um, 73 years of age. Um so for those who don't know who that is or what he does, um, he's essentially the representative for the players um, as an entity as they negotiate contracts, different things in health and safety insurance for uh, everybody that's in the league, right? Um, so seven NHL players, um, along with Donald Fair, will begin the search, um, and he will also stay director until um, his replacement is found. Um, search committee will provide a progress report on the pursuit of his replacement, um, by mid July. So this is a, again, a lengthier process, not something you want to rush. Um, I do remember before Donald fair took over before the 2011 slash 2012 CBA negotiating rights. So let's say things were, yeah, they were not good. So, uh, mm-hmm. it is a very important position for the players. And I know that, you know, it, it's one that has a lot of weight on how, the NHL actually can be shaped moving forward. Um, the IIHF, let's go internationally, has stripped Russia officially of hosting the 2023 World Championships. Um, also, when on Wednesday, the CHL made the announcement that Russian and Belarusian players will also be ineligible for this year's CHL import draft, which is slated to take place on July 1. Um, of course, this ban comes um, in the wake of the invasion of Ukraine by Russia. Um NHL's Global Series, meanwhile, will return with games in the Czech Republic and Finland. Uh, San Jose and Nashville will play two October games in Prague, and Colorado and Columbus will compete for two games in that Tampere. Tampere? Tampere? Tampere. Okay. Tampere. Tampere. Excuse me. Um, I do want to watch Prague and I would imagine the NHL has um, a backup plan in case things continue to persist over um, in Eastern Europe. Um, I would imagine that that's still very much up in the air, and I would hope that there's a backup plan in case for that. Um, U.S. Customs, how about the seized 10 counterfeit <laughs> rings uh, mimicking the 1936 uh, Detroit rings, 
Red Wing Stanley Cup victory. Mm-hmm. So why? I'm not sure, but sure. Uh, Jack Adams <laughs> was the coach of the year. Um, he's the only person in NHL history to win a cup as a player and coach and a GM. And speaking of the Red Wings, a couple changes there. So a uh, long time Zamboni driver El Sabotka was fired um, after 51 years. Um, he has filed a lawsuit against the team because of that firing. Um, the 68 year old has a medical condition related to prostate care, with symptoms caused in sudden urination. Couldn't get to a restroom, um, so we urinated in a drain that carries ice runoff from the Zamboni machines at Little Caesars Arena. He thought no one was in the building, but someone noticed it and reported it. Uh, so he's yeah, probably not in the greatest spot there, despite the medical condition, unfortunately. And uh, speaking of Red Wings, Noah, I'm not sure if you had this anywhere, but also. Yeah, it's, I think you actually, have some. It's actually next. You have some news on some <laughs> other Red Wings uh, changes coming through. Yeah, no, I am. I am on top of it a little bit, kind of ish. Um, um, I, at least my prostate's doing okay. Um, but <laughs> beyond for now, be for now. Yeah, no kidding. Um, beyond that, uh, it's kind of interesting. A, a couple of those stories that are in there. First of all, you know exactly how I feel about the CHL import draft. The the fact that we are punishing young players because of their nationality with this. I, I understand the message, but I mean, this is a very critical stage for a lot of these players when it comes to developing their hockey craft. Um, you know, I like, like this is, I, I mean, think about this. Imagine if one day we say, Oh, the capitals are in the first round of the playoffs. Alex Ovechkin's got to go back home. Like, it's just, it's kind of an odd thing. I, I think um, not to say it, I'm not saying it doesn't have any bearing on world events, but it's also hockey. Um, I just want to put it, I think in that <laughs> particular realm, uh, the, the Red Wings counterfeit rings, uh, like you said, I don't really understand what the purpose of this is. Obviously we, 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 it would be pretty obvious to me that they don't have 10 rings from the 1936 Detroit Red Wings. That would be a huge haul of rings that you would end up getting. That would be and a lot of money's worth. So yes. Yeah. Yeah, seriously. Um, and then, yeah, the Zamboni driver, um, kind of an interesting deal all the way around. I think just because of the fact that, you know, maybe you let him retire or kind of talk through that medical condition. Cause if it's causing that much of an issue, maybe kind of just like open up that discussion uh, instead of maybe firing him. But like, I can also, mm. I can also see from the team perspective, I can see why that would be a potential issue quite obviously. No, it is an issue. You know, like, I don't know. Like, Cause because you have two things at play here, Noah. One thing yeah. you're forgetting is, you know, medical information, you know, having the pandemic and some other groups told us that even your vaccination status is supposed to be private. So, yeah, right. I'm obviously joking here. So, yeah. um, so, but then are we supposed to then disclose something where in other states this is regarded as essentially exposing themselves? Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those things like where I think in the eyes of the Red Wings, I think maybe it's something you clarify just to say, hey, you know what, this is something that is potentially going to affect the way that I do my job. I mean, think about this in the sense that from the from the driver's perspective. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, I mean, you could be driving a Zamboni and it's something that something's coming, something's coming, man. Like, that's just kind of how the, these things work. And I think that maybe, you Those know, also it, depends, you know, I, but I can also understand where he didn't want to say anything because he probably wants to keep his job. And I think that 
that's where I think the Red Wings maybe needed to find an alternative method and maybe sit down with them and say, hey, you know, what's going on? And maybe the best course of action was, you know what, you finish out the season and maybe you file for retirement and then you, you move on with your no. thing. You know, he, I, he lost that opportunity when he he did that action, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. It's, it's one of those things where, unfortunately, in today's day and age, you know, no one's assuming that a medical condition when that's coming out. Uh, unfortunately, there's... There's right, just... right, but that's but that's exactly my point. The, the Red Wings didn't investigate at all. They just said they just said, "Oh, this happened." So clearly, you know, we're just going to get rid of him instead of just having the discussion. It could have been very simple. You know what? I've had this so, medical condition. Here's I, the problem I, I, with I that. couldn't I couldn't make it to a restroom, and that just opens up a bigger discussion. You that is, I mean? that is, you cannot sell that story to the general public. Unfortunately, I just, I just, I yeah. because and here's here's my point with that. I'm not saying that that story isn't incorrect and medically correct. The problem is you, what's the precedent you set then? Yeah. Well, that's, that's the what, problem. That's, that's the problem. What, Had the Zamboni driver himself taking necessary mitigation efforts, such as, I mean, I know we like to give crap to people who like wear depends and stuff, but that's an option. Yeah. Um, obviously if you're, <laughs> hate to say it but if you're waiting that long you shouldn't be um but you cannot sit there and expose yourself in a public setting yeah even if no one's around because even if there are cameras around someone's seeing this and fortunately today's day and age if you are exposing yourself with a part of your body that is considered sexual in nature that unfortunately is yeah. very narrowly defined nowadays and that's just not something you're you're gonna win that argument no matter what yeah, I guess I don't know. I guess I just I just see it from the perspective that it's like I that I would have I, I think the Red Wings maybe should have at least just inquired or maybe just been like, dude, what is going on here? You know what I mean? Instead, of I'm sure they did, but I yeah. I think they have the same mentality as I do, which is okay, but preventable, yeah. probably sort of thing, right? Where it's okay, we get it. This is a medical thing, but really, this is this didn't need to happen, kind of thing. You know? Yeah. Probably. I just, I yeah, I just, I just wonder if it, it's a moot point. Yeah, honestly, and, and, it's and, a and moot I, point. Yeah, and I hate to say it, the guy is sixty eight, so it's like, you know, maybe the best course of action would have been to just give him his retirement papers at the end of the year and just kind of like, I don't want to say sweep it under the rug. That's not what I'm trying to say, but like, it's also kind of what I'm trying to say because it's like he's been there fifty one years. Like, <laughs> he's he's had a career. You know what I mean? Like, you yeah. know what I mean? Um, I don't know. I don't know the best course of action, but obviously uh, if you have a medical condition that requires disclosure to your employer, not that you have to disclose it, this is a story that maybe you keep your eyes on in the future. Um, someone who is not being going to be disclosing anything to uh, the Detroit Red Wings uh, will be Jeff Blashill, who was finally terminated of his contract after seven seasons with the club, 204, 261, and 72 record over that time. Assistant Doug Hoda and net mining coach Jeff Salako were also released after the club finished 25th this season under Steve Eiserman at the general manager role. So I think that's a club that is maybe looking to continue to kind of reform and redevelop and get back to uh, where they were in hockey prominence all those years ago. Um, other exact news, former U.S. Olympian Amanda Kessel joining the Pittsburgh Penguins executive management team, Chicago, hiring longtime Chicago Cub executive Jeff Greenberg as associate general manager. 
and longtime Los Angeles King Dustin Brown. He plans to retire after the playoffs here at his age 37 season. Veteran player, 13th overall pick way back in 2003, has spent all of his 18 seasons with the Kings and is the only American captain to win two Stanley Cups. I did not know that. That's actually kind of a wild thing. Uh, if you really think about it, almost mm-hmm. 1300 points good for seventh in franchise history. So uh, Dustin Brown is kind of a guy that, um, you know, had a really great start to his career, kind of kind of disappeared in the middle of his career. And then has really seen a little bit of a resurgence resurgence later in his had career. Some, had some injury problems, I believe, during that time, if I recall. Yeah, you know, so um, congratulations to him, obviously, on a great career. Almost two decades in the league, very long time to be playing. Um, and, uh, you know, always always seemed like a good guy um, when he could figure out what direction the water bottle was supposed to face when he was supposed to drink the water on the bench. Um, <laughs> if anyone remembers that video from NBC all those years ago. Uh, milestone news. Uh, Alex Ovechkin tying Wayne Gretzky and Mike Bossy for the most 50-goal seasons in the NHL with nine. You wonder if you take out a lockout and a COVID year and a half, uh, how many 50 goal seasons he might actually have. If he has already broken that record, uh, he might, he might break it next year. Yeah. Hopefully if he can stay healthy, he did have a little bit of an injury bug at the tail end of the season. So you kind of worry about that as he gets up there in age, obviously, uh, 780 career goals also trails Gordy Howe now by 21 and Gretzky on top of that leaderboard by 114. So going to need a couple more of those 50 goal seasons to have a shot at that record. Young defenseman Kiel McCarr uh, for the Avalanche, setting a new record for most points by a defenseman, uh, hitting 83 points, besting Steve Duchesne for uh, the Quebec Nordiques back in 1992-93. So congratulations to Kale. He's uh, going to be a great force for the Avs for a long time. And finally, in injury news, Nashville on edge right now entering their playoff series after netminer UC Soros. He's going to be hurt with a high ankle sprain that's going to keep him out potentially four to six weeks. Kind of a scary blow for this Nashville team. Uh, Marcus Foligno, Minnesota, very questionable for game one against St. Louis after that knee-on-knee hit from Colorado's Travis McDermott, or excuse me, Curtis McDermott, uh, along with Matt Zuccarello, who is nursing a lower body ailment. So Minnesota having some question marks in their series. Dylan Larkin, uh, as the Red Wings finish up, he's out for three months after core muscle surgery. And Vegas is Robin Lehner. What a story this has been undergoing shoulder surgery after playing through the injury for almost three months. And welcome in episode number 109 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. Myself, Noah Grant, joined alongside by Nick Maxson, as always. Nick, uh, we are back after a short little hiatus here on this Sunday morning. Uh, how was your time off? Was it productive? What were you up to? Uh, you know, in your time off, I, I don't, yeah. I don't understand the question. <laughs> Relative time off, right? Um, well, for those uh, playing the home game, it really wasn't time off. It was just not recording an episode here, but plenty of things that are still. A lot of work. Uh, there is a, a marathon to the finish line uh, graduate, obviously, coming up here this week. So we have a final project that we're still trying to put some finishing touches on. Um, also, uh, travel out to Vegas for the National Association of Broadcasters uh, convention. Um, so it was good to get away a little bit, although, uh, you know, talk about this, Noah. Uh, 40 <laughs> miles that I walked in four days. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's that's a lot. Uh, and that's, <laughs> I'm that's not a math a, guy, but that's a lot. It's a lot. Uh, then that's 
not including, you know, that that's straight walking. I mean, yeah, we took the monorail to and back from the hotel and, you know, there was a, a Tesla tunnel underneath the convention center now. Yes, there's a there's a new little underground thing there. That's actually pretty cool. But no, that there's a there's a lot of walking and my, my calves are screaming. Let's put it <laughs> to you that way. Um, it was nice to feel some sun and some heat uh, for a few days. Uh, but geez, uh, the red eye. Yeah. That sucked. Uh, that was that was rough. <laughs> I actually had a, my flight delayed by about an hour um, coming back. So the flight was supposed to leave uh, at midnight on Tuesday night slash Wednesday morning. We actually pushed back from the gate, revved up the engines. And usually, you know, you do a couple of pre-flight checks. It takes you about two to three minutes and you're off and taxiing to the runway for takeoff. We sat there for about five minutes. And at that point, I'm thinking, crap there's something wrong. <laughs> so I had a window seat. So I look up to my right and all of a sudden there's, you know, what they call the wing spotters. We've got the, so I see them walk back out. I'm like, crap, we're going back to the gate. Sure enough, <laughs> straight back. Any powers down. We ended up finding out there was a medical emergency in the back of the plane. Oh my uh, gosh. Yes. So there was a gentleman, I think pretty much the very back row was sitting next to his wife and he passed out. Oh, wow. So the wife got a hold of the flight attendant. Now, from what I understand, and this is obviously very hearsay, but uh, he was very reluctant to give away what was happening. Wife eventually was like, dude, you got to tell him what's going on here. Um, he had a history of low blood pressure. Mm. So after about a half an hour of digging it out of him, the captain finally came through. and was like, dude, I'm not flying with you on this on this plane, because if you get a if you go to low pressure and you have low blood pressure, you're going to have a heart attack or a stroke. It's going to be 30 minutes before I get you on the ground. You're probably not going to be alive by the time I land. An emergency descent from 40,000 feet down to zero is very dangerous. Nope. So they called an ambulance. He was able to get off his own power, but about an hour delay before they got him out of there and for us back on in the plane. Yeah. So did get back into Minneapolis till about six in the morning. And then literally had to get off a plane and go right to work. I had to work me at eight o'clock in the morning and then work till six p.m. So let's just say I was dead tired. Yeah. On Tuesday. So did you did you did you hear the uh, by the way speaking of, first of all hashtag hypotension for those who are wondering but besides yes. that um point um it, did you hear the Dallas Stars uh, they didn't have a medical emergency but they did have their plane where they rejected the takeoff. Yeah, exactly. So 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 I've actually had a few people ask me about that. So. There is a point where you actually cannot stop the aircraft um, when you're yeah, on a takeoff. It, it usually happens when it's you know going too fast to stop the plane and you're running out of runway. <laughs> yeah. So when you so for those who don't know, actually uh, took ground school. I actually flew a plane at 14 before I drove a car. Um, took ground school um, out of uh, was it Academy College there in Bloomington, Minnesota. Um, so when you're when you're punching in numbers uh, to the, the flight computer on any commercial aircraft, it's calculating what's called V1 and VR. Uh, V1 is your speed, which at that point you're committed to take off. Um, when you go basically from stops from start to that speed, and usually it's around 125, 130, maybe miles an hour. Um, if before you hit that, there's actually a setting called RTO. Um, on the aircraft called rejected takeoff. So the minute you pull that flap button up um, to initiate the reverse uh, 
uh, cowlings on your on your engines, um, you're in full brake mode, and that's not fun. Now, what could have caused that emergency sort of you know rejected takeoff? Um, could have been oil pressure, could have been engine. I don't know if they've released any details on it, but I will tell you this: the last thing you want to do as a pilot is to abort a takeoff at that yeah. speed. So it must have been something pretty concerning if they had to hit the uh the stop rake uh, on on that takeoff that's that's not fun yeah i mean from what i was what i was told quite obviously is that um the players were like yeah everything pretty much got thrown about the cabin and we were not ready for it nope <laughs> which, we never are which which obviously was um so i'm trying to think yeah um if there was anything that really kind of i uh, the next announcement was that there was little smoke in the cockpit after de-icing, which obviously is kind of an issue when you're trying to fly an airplane. Um, so. That could have been that could have been fog or something, but it yeah. also could have been condensation in the air conditioning. Um, could have been a bunch of stuff. Yeah, I mean, uh, could, for all for all you know, as a pilot, could be an electrical failure that would persist as soon as you get up in the air, which you correct. know. I honestly, I, I mean, I, the airline, I think did the right thing in this particular instance as, as, 100%. as uncomfortable it is for the players, it's better than getting, like you said, to 30,000 feet and having something, you know, not your closer. options, your options are much more, uh, wide open on the ground. They are in the air, but <laughs> you that way, um, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things too, where, you know, it's like if you're number if you're next in line for takeoff, right? You're doing actually an engine pressure check, so you're actually revving the engines up a little bit. You're actually watching your oil pressures, you're watching fuel, uh, you know, regulation a little bit. Um, yeah, you're watching your electrical systems. There's so many checks and balances that are, and there's also so many backup systems too, right? Um, yeah. That are in these, uh, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars that are in aircrafts. Um, which is nice to know. However, again, you know, I still love. You know the idea which is hey if something doesn't look right get it checked out yeah. i mean there's been times where my mom has flown from the airlines for over 35 years um where you know even if something where like a bathroom light doesn't go up they pull it back and get it checked out yeah um because again it could signal a much more serious electrical failure um, that's in the aircraft. You, know, you, you don't obviously always think it that way. It's like, oh, it's probably a burn a light bulb. Yeah. No, they 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 take the the, the mentality as well, let's make sure this is actually an isolated problem, almost like in medicine, right, Noah? Where it's like, I, yeah, I was know. I was about to say, I certain uh, uh, Zamboni driver could benefit from this one, but yeah. So it's you know, <laughs> well, it's like this, right? So and and, and this hurts to me to talk about a little bit, but you know. When, you know, I, I had, uh, you know, went through a couple of things as a passenger per se, uh, medically, right. Whereas, you know, a sore back ended up being something much more serious than that. Um, yeah. you know, so it's, it's one of those deals where, you know, you don't just assume that the back is the only thing that's the problem. You actually go and diagnose the entire thing. And, yeah. you know, once you confirm it is okay, it's just a burn on light bulb, then you can continue forward. But yeah, they, they never assume anything when you're flying, you know, they always say, okay, what's actually, 
make sure this isn't something more widespread because again you lose all electrical power and hydraulics in the air um you have nothing to control the aircraft and you're kind well, of screwed so well, that's exactly what they said to me i mean my shoulders hurt from you know carrying this podcast entirely but then they said i'm just a burnt out light bulb so yeah. um what can you do right <laughs> nonetheless uh my uh my time off by the way for those who were curious uh was also the same as nick's not really time off um it was time utilized uh, essentially um we did have uh, our big nationally proctored exams for uh what is what is called ati exams they're pretty much nclex prep exams but you have to meet the minimum score to pass and if you don't pass it you have to retake the examination which you don't want to do because they're very difficult um the cut rate for it is like 63 percent um, and it's 60 questions, so you can tell, obviously, how difficult the tests are when the passing rate, the bottom part of the passing rate is a little over half of the questions. Um, so they're kind of a kind of a challenge there. But we have three of them. Uh, I have completed two of them, and I am safe to say as of May 1st, I well, I know as of May 1st, I passed two of them for sure. And the last one is coming up on Wednesday, and then it is uh, summertime for me. Crazy how quickly uh, this semester is gone, and I will have a year left of school uh, before officially becoming a nurse. So I uh, very excited, obviously, for that journey. But the tests, um, hard to find motivation for this last one. So if anyone wants to take my <laughs> labor and delivery ATI, I, I, I would love it. It'd be very nice uh, for anybody out there. Uh, but we're not going to labor and delivery on this too much longer. Nick, I think we're going to do what we always do, considering uh, the show took a little bit longer in the main portion. I think maybe we'll do the extra ice session now and then probably sure. do it, probably do a deep dive for the Minnesota Wild uh, in the extra ice session. So uh, Dryden McKay, for those who... Uh, missed the part of the show where we did talk a little bit about Dryden and what kind of he went through, please go back probably and just check that out uh, in the um, portion for Center ICU News and Notes. But the long story short is he was found with a trillionth of a gram of Osterine and his vitamin D3 immune uh, supplement booster, whatever you want to call it. And um, for those who don't remember, that's a decimal followed by 11 zeros uh, and and. Uh, essentially accepted a six-month ban because he technically violated USADA doping uh, agency things. And I want to put this in perspective. Uh, you know, when you talk about the the potency of substances, so to speak, you know, uh, Nick and I were kind of having this discussion before the show, speaking of nursing, uh, is that for a substance that, that does have a little bit more potency, for example, let's say fentanyl, uh, fentanyl, you know, 50 micrograms is kind of, unless you have someone who's really hurting and you bump it up to a hundred, um, 50 micrograms or 50 mics, as we call it in the hospital, is kind of the high end of what you would give for a substance that has potentially very debilitating respiratory and cardiopulmonary consequences when it comes to administering the medication, uh, 50 micrograms, there is 1 million micrograms in one gram so that's kind of a good little comparison and one gram is about the weight of a paperclip so you want to talk about a trillionth of a gram uh yeah i think saying that it has no performance benefits is a very safe assumption here nick the question for me is this we've had these cases come up a couple times now where we've had athletes who have barely been detected for some of these substances is there a way for these doping agencies to be able to identify that these aren't having performance enhancing effects. This is justified. There is a reason for this. Or do they just continue to take the stance to say that, you know what, labeled properly or improperly, you, you were detected of a banned substance and we're not going to bend the rules for this? Uh, your question is premised very terribly. So let me rephrase it. Thanks. Um, I like yes. it when you remind me of that every time. <laughs> yes. So the, the, true, the true problem here is and where the doping agency has a problem in terms of 
how they have to have a stance, right? Because if you're the doping agency and you identify a substance that at whatever level, right? And we can have a separate debate of when or what, how much that actually has a, an impact, right? But if you've banned a substance that's you're not taking this, you can't have a slippery slope, which is, well, we've banned this, but at point zero 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 one, whatever. That just doesn't work that way, um, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so the what the actual question is, how is it that the public can trust a labeled substance, which mm-hmm. does not have a banned substance on its label, and yet when it is found in something, how is that the doping agency can find accountability in the purchaser of that product when it's not when they've read the label clearly and it's not listed right and it's been referred to them by by their trainer or physician or medical advisor essentially here's my thing i don't give a damn who it's referred to because at the end of the day the fda has a giant loophole for whether it's the food industry and what we eat in terms of disclosing what's actually in yellow coloring or what they can get away with saying it's zero grams of fat this isn't just a doping problem this is a fda labeling problem so when and i want to clarify this this the right way this is and i mentioned this before this is going to happen again and here's my thing we cannot have the discussion of whether there was something in like, it doesn't matter how much of it's banned, it's banned. Yeah. That is a no-go. The, you're never going to win that position with the doping agency because, unfortunately, you can say whatever the hell you want. I got it from here, I got it from there. Well, prove it. You can't, unfortunately, yeah. right? So the thing is, if if we are going to take the story at face value and we are, we are trusting that Dryden is telling us truth, and I'm not saying he's not, right? I'm just saying that, you know, with the world of – high performance, whether it's athletics or something, there's always the opportunity for someone to try to gain an advantage. Right. And I get it. The, you know, it, it's obvious why, but if he is telling us everything, the truth, which I believe he is, yeah. and he's taking a substance, which does not have a banned substance listed and it's found to be contaminated. Why are we holding the consumer, the one that's the cheater and not the producer of said accountable that's be- my question be- because because of this i think i uh, is that you can then therefore say i'm taking this you know vitamin d3 supplement and you could put an actual performance enhancing product inside that and then how do how do how can you determine that the producer of said product did or didn't know about that. And that's where I see the loophole where athletes would take advantage of that and say, you know what, we're going to take this legal product that it has been approved by whoever USADA, the FDA, whoever you want to say is the governing body for this. Then you add that substance. And then, you know, the player says, well, I didn't know it wasn't on the label because they've added that to that product, you know? So I think that that's probably where that maybe comes from. I don't know. I there there isn't an easy way. I think that that's no. that's the encompassing point that I think you're making very well. And that's, uh, you know, what do you do in these instances? I think the better question is, 
and I don't know if science can answer this. Obviously, I'm not I'm not a pharmacist. I'm not well versed in chemistry or pharmacology um, to it to a great extent. Neither but, am I, but but I think when it comes to some of these substances, how do you determine what is performance enhancing? I think when it comes to athletes, you know, is a trillionth of a gram is that performance enhancing? Because but that's because, at the time of the test, too, Noah. Right, but that's what I, but but that's what I'm saying. It's like it's like how do you determine? You know, how do you determine that, you know, based on like, if you know a substance contains osterine, how do you know how it affects the body over X amount of days? And what is the amount that should be in the body after X amount of days? And I don't know how you test that. I don't think you can test that. Is there a way? To, you know what I mean? Like there's, well, it's there an interesting is. conversation where it's like, I, I wish we could get to a point where you could say, you know what, anything under X amount of grams of osterine within 10 days after you've consumed this product is makes it not performance enhancing because i think we're running into that where we are having substances like from my perspective um and again i'm not a pharmacist i'm not a chemistry expert i'm not well versed in that but my guess <laughs> on the limited medical experience that i have is that the trillionth of a gram regardless of that was present right after the, the test was testing. right after exactly like it probably wasn't performance enhancing and I would almost guarantee at the time of the not. test. Yeah. I'm guaranteed at the time of the test. I'm guarantee you it probably wasn't because when was the, when were the Olympics? Because they, they, yeah, they tested him in late January and he was taking the supplement in the middle of January. So, I mean, he took it for 10 days. Like, so, so here's you know? the, here's the ultimate problem with though, with that stance is that's at the time of testing Then it opens the door as okay. Well, did you take this months ago? So you were still taking a banned substance. So either way, regardless of how much is in there, you're taking a banned substance as it's written by the governing body, right. anti-doping but, agency. But, but that's what I'm saying. If you can declare, yes, I purchased this specific thing on this date and consumed it from this date to this date, we have empirical evidence that can say, not definitively, but no. that can say, if you take this medication, if you take this substance in the medical world, we're not just talking just you know banned substances, we're talking anything you can predict what it's going to do to the body over a course of days. That's the reason why a drug test is able to do what it does because it can predict how long a certain substance will stay in your system. So I feel like there's got to be a way at some point, I'm not saying within our lifetime, I got no idea, but where we can figure out where some of these substances, how they do show up at the time of testing relative to when you anticipate, you know, I, I don't know. It's, um, it's a sticky situation. That's, I mean, that's a long and skinny of it for sure, but. Yeah, I mean, it's also like don't eat a lemon poppy seed muffin before going getting a you know a meth test. Don't do that. So <laughs> seriously, <laughs> um, and for those who actually that is actually not a myth. That's a true thing. It yeah, actually it is. it is an actual thing. A poppy seed has the the same, even though it's not you know any obviously any yeah. uh, you know, reactionary thing in the body, but it does test positive for the amphetamines mm -hmm. uh, during a, a drug test. So that's actually a proven fact. And yes, I, I'm hearing somebody in my right ear screaming through a door trying to tell me what it is. And I don't care. I'm not a medical professional. I'm, <laughs> I'm totally butchering this. I do not care at this moment. So um, either you know, way. But, but, but that's exactly how those things are. And that's why it's important to, I don't want to say have chain of evidence, but really make sure if you are putting anything in your body, make sure that you you have account of that and you are accountable with that, you know, like, like, for example, we were having the discussion. So for example, Ritalin, um, essentially, mm -hmm. uh, you know, is a very good example where, um, when, when you mentioned methamphetamines, 
variants of that are extremely similar to the actual what you would call the street drug for that that are given for for example cns stimulants for adhd things like that so mm -hmm. um you know there are things that that go in there where that make these tests complicated and really like you mentioned the governing body has a difficult time you think about how many times people have either been able to circumvent the process or try really hard to find new ways it's hard to beat the police in this case because there's always going to be a new substance there's always going to be a new way to do this there's always going to be a new way to take a substance or, or find a way to try to find some loophole if you can so um it's a challenge and i really i think at the end of the day i really feel for dryden mckay because like you said i really think he's telling the truth as well um and honestly I'm really happy that this issue maybe came about essentially in the middle of the summer that hopefully doesn't have a whole lot of bearing on his particular career and a four-year ban, I well, think I th in general would not be appropriate for him because. Well, and I think that the fact that the signing by Toronto after the ban, I think tells you where they feel the storyline mm -hmm. is. Um, so if there's any sort of, you know, uh, you know, how does the hockey world feel about it? I think that's very telling. So, so I, I saw a couple of people because, you know, Twitter is, uh, you know, a cesspool for information. Yes. Intelligence. Um, <laughs> what is it? Uh, so the Hobie Baker Foundation obviously announced they're standing by Dryden McKay. Um, I'm going to ask you this rhetorically. Was this the right move by the Hobie Baker Foundation to keep Dryden McKay as the winner for this year? Yeah, I mean, and again, that's that's a not an easy call for them either, right? So yeah. because you know, there's there's a lot to say here, right? So again, the the doping agency has a very black and white framework to work with, right? Whereas mm. when you take yourselves out of that framing, there's a lot more gray in this scenario than you know they really can get into, right? So where the gray area, I think, gets and if everybody has confidence in what's, you know, was he being forthcoming, right? It, it's kind of like when you're, you know, interviewing, you know, somebody um, after like an accident and you can kind of tell like, okay, yeah, no, I was going 65. Yeah, I I, I, I looked over my shoulder. I didn't see him and I sideswiped yeah. him. You can, you can get the sense that someone is being truthful where it's just like, um, no, dude, I was going 40 and then somebody walks up it's like no dude he was going like 75 yeah, and it doesn't um, match witness and, and, too, it's like no he's and, going 75 right and, there's more to it than that yeah and the hobie baker foundation i think that's probably the, the way i should have framed this question the hobie baker foundation referenced the investigation that was done by the ncaa and that they they knew about this issue so my question is did the ncaa handle this correctly knowing this in early february yeah i mean again you know it's that the problem with the way that we have discussions now is that it's, you know, was this the right move or, you know, did they fail or did they succeed? It's, it's one extreme or the other. No, yeah. like actually dig down and read the investigation. And I think if you do that, I think there's everybody would come most would come to the conclusion as, okay, it looks like this was not like Dryden was trying to hide anything. Once the issue came about, he was very cooperative, um, everything he disclosed. So it wasn't like, again, he was trying to delay or hide anything. You know, you can discern a lot from somebody's actions related to investigation with how it usually turns out. So, um, again, I, I think if you actually go into the details, hmm, funny details, social media never happens. Um, you know, then I think you can come to the conclusion as, yeah, no, this was the right things came about. And I think at the end of the day, what what happened was about as best as it could be yeah so circling back to our original discussion because i know we've kind of gone back and forth on this a little bit so uh, i'm 
I'm trying, I agree with you hundred percent. I want to put that out there right now. I'm trying to qualify how we've talked about, you know, doing the right thing when it's, when it's black and white, but not so black and white in a sense, but also understanding when we've just talked about, you know, what, you know, he, he took a banned substance and there's evidence of that banned substance. How do you go about that as the doping agency to be able to say like, like how they're determining how six months is the appropriate ban? Because like you talked about the NCAA, for if you want to be technical about it, essentially let an athlete who tested positive for a doping violation continue participating in his sport. And that's yep. what, that's where I, that's why I'm wondering, you know, how do we qualify that by saying there are parameters in place like we just talked about? It needs to stay that way until we find a better option, which we don't have this particular time. But also saying that there is some some push and pull here. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand my question or not really? Not really. Because because essentially your not your stance, but essentially your stance, I guess, in the beginning was that there's no way to to essentially not make that part of the process black and white where we where we say yes, there, yeah, no, you don't exactly. But then our reaction by the league, if you're gonna take the stance that doping is doping, which it is, it technically, then the NCA has pretty much just said, and I'm just being devil's advocate here, that it that it was okay in this instance because of the amount that was found. You know what I'm saying? Not necessarily. No. Right. Um, so no, let me, you have to, the framing isn't correct here um, from yeah. how you phrased it. You have to understand the body and the position of authority that they're in. Right. So it's the same reason why. Let me try to find a good example. I probably can't this Sunday morning. So let's just go it this way. You can't as a doping agency or help. Screw it. So I just, I, my brain isn't functioning. So, and we're running out of time. So, um, the dope agency cannot take the stance of, of the gray area. They literally cannot, right. because you talk about opening loopholes. That's what would happen if they were to take individual situations and try to dissect it. Right. That's the job of the NCAA. So right. they can, they can operate in a gray. The doping agency cannot. Their sole job is to say, did you test positive for a bad substance? Yes or no? Yes. Okay, well, then we have to do this because our procedure says this is what we have to do. That is their very limited scope on the situation. However, the NCAA isn't bound by that same framework. They can come over and say, yes, we understand that you have found banned and took a banned substance. However, we can account for the entire investigation, which is, Okay, we can take into account that you took a substance that did not have this in its label. And just to throw this out there, we visited their production facility and saw that when they changed from one supplement to another, they never cleaned anything. So that's how this trace of this could end up in something in the past, right? I'm obviously just throwing this out for an example, but they can take those storylines and they can let that impact their decision. Whereas a doping agency, they cannot. Yeah. That's, you, that's you, the issue is that nobody, they're both not, they're both parallel. They're never going to intersect, but I, it's how do you take those two parallel lines and frame a story that way? I may not have asked the question correctly, but I got the answer that I was looking for. I was hoping you were just going to qualify it for, for our listeners. Cause, cause I've seen that. I've seen that question a fair amount of times and I agree with you hundred percent. I'm not, I'm not trying to advocate for the other direction. I think it's just no, import, know, but... import, important for people to, you know, clarify obviously on what is going on. The real question is 
where's Mel Pearson? <laughs> mm. <laughs> Is he going to be the coach of the Wolverines? You know, I think there's actually a lot that's riding on the investigation to Michigan athletics right now. And I think that yeah. there is some hesitation to extend a coach that is possibly involved in this kind of shenanigans. So, um, and it's not just him, it's what basketball and football, if you recall, I think there's at yeah. least three sports that are involved in this so-called, I don't know if it's an internal investigation or if it's uh, an external one, either way there there's, there's malpractice being investigated in Michigan athletics, um, especially with, I think, trying to su suppress COVID positive tests, if I yeah. recall correctly, is one of them. Um, and also, I think if I remember correctly, they're also trying to figure out why that they knew they couldn't beat Western Michigan. That's why they didn't travel. I'm totally kidding. But uh, <laughs> that should be part of it. Um, but no, it yeah. does not surprise me at all. Um, and if yeah. you are Michigan athletics now, you don't have a choice you're not extending a coach until you figure out what's going on with the athletics. Because if, if they end up finding some malpractice here, he's one piece of the puzzle or, or a statue that could fall. There could be a lot of people that lose their jobs potentially with what they find out from this. And until all that gets wrapped up, you're not going to hear anything about either an extension or someone taking over his position until that uh, has been completed. So, not surprising because we would we're going to hear about that first before we hear anything about Mel Pearson. Yeah, imagine that. Uh, headline reads: "Doing the right thing often works; doing the wrong thing often doesn't." Um, and oh, old really? man, old man yells at Cloud. Um, you know, it's yeah. uh, um, and, and prime example in Dryden McKay's case, even when you're doing the essentially right thing, so to speak, or doing what you feel is the right recommended thing by people who have more professional experience in that area than you do and are advising you. Sometimes things still happen. So uh, yeah, Michigan, not a great scene for them. All things no. considered to be honest no. with you. Um, they don't have any in the playoffs, anybody in the playoffs. Uh, Michigan doesn't as far as initial hockey is concerned, but there is a certain no. state that does. Um, it might be Minnesota and the Minnesota wild. We're going to talk all things NHL playoffs as we head on to our extra ice session. Welcome into episode number 109 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast, our extra ice session. Myself, Noah Grant, alongside with Nick Maxson, we just had a riveting discussion about uh, the doping world and how all of that works related to Dryden McKay's latest news. If you missed that, definitely go back and check it out in the main portion of the show. If you're just joining us, we are excited for some NHL playoff action that will get started tomorrow on May 2nd. The Minnesota Wild are part of that first slate of games that open up tomorrow night. They do have the St. Louis Blues, but we do have have some uh, very good matchups, uh, all things considered, Nick. Um, I did do my bracket last night. Um, Congrats. People were not happy about it, <laughs> mostly because I didn't pick the Wild to win. I hope my bracket's wrong. You know what I mean? Right. Um, but uh, I, I think before we get to the playoffs, I know I just set that up for no apparent reason. Not at all. A couple, <laughs> that's what I do. A couple of a couple of stats I think we just maybe pay attention to for the regular season. First of all, the Minnesota Wild, best season in franchise history uh, in terms of their success this season. And I think it's interesting, you know, they're, I forget if they if they broke the record or if they came very close to their overall points percentage broke at, it. Home, at home. Um, oh, points at home. Point, points percentage. Not, I thought they did. So they, they, they have the most number of wins in franchise history um, with 53 overall for the season, but their points percentage at home, it was one of the COVID years that they set the record for the best record because they only played 
a limited number of games, whatever it was, like 20 <laughs> games at home. 20% whatever. Yeah, exactly. That's going to be your outlay or whatever. Yeah, so I so I don't I don't know I don't know where where it actually ended up being, but in terms of stats, the Minnesota Wild were fifth in the National Hockey League and basically uh their respective categories um pretty impressive season. 53 wins, 22 losses, 113 points, the most in franchise history, just under 700 winning percentage, 37 regulation wins, um 305 goals for uh, and 249 goals against. In fact, I'm curious. So let's uh, let's enlighten ourselves, shall we? Uh, they're still fifth. Uh, the Minnesota Wild um, are fifth in the league in goals for um, goals against. Uh, let's see if we can figure out where the Wild are. They are 17th in goals against. So not exactly. Um, sorry, this is going the other direction. Of course, it loads the opposite direction. The Montreal Canadiens are the worst in case you had a had a had a wild guess even even with putting up a 10 spot um minnesota wild are 16th 16th in the league exactly dead middle in terms of goals against uh right ahead of national right behind the vegas golden knights and dallas stars so um yeah not great minnesota has not been a juggernaut special teams wise either direction their pk has not been great their power bad, play actually <laughs> their power play has been better ish yeah. as of late, but it hasn't yeah. been anything crazy. They do have some guy by the name of Kirill Kaprizov who did finish fifth uh, in the national hockey league um, in terms of his points percentage. In fact, I just realized I'm rambling here, but I just realized we did not announce our final trivia winner <laughs> and it actually relates to Kirill Kaprizov. So we better do that really quick. And then I want to get your opinion on the Minnesota wild season. So trivia question, right. fight the pants was our winner. Um, Tinner Heath did win season three of trivia. Congratulations to him. Question did read Kirill Kaprizov holds the Minnesota wild record um, at the time of question with 101 points um, with five games to go in the season. Uh, however, which Minnesota North star holds the franchise record um, when Minnesota had a franchise here for most points in the season from 1967 to 1993, who is the North star who holds the record for most points in a season? Neil Broughton. No, Neil Broughton is, uh, he is third on that list, uh, technically four. So Bobby Smith, oh, first Bobby place, Smith, yeah. 114 points in 1981-82. Dino Cicerelli had 106 in the same year, also had 103 in 1986-87. And then Neil Broughton is right behind at 105 uh, behind that first one for Dino if Cicerelli. If that recalls up Bobby Smith's rookie year. Who it might be. I was not alive, obviously. Um, I wasn't uh, either. I know. Brian, yeah, Brian Bellows is the the next one on the list at 99 uh, in the 1989 season. So um, it's been a very impressive year for our Minnesota Wild. I did tell um, former guest Seth Topol about this, that I did predict the top three of the Central smack dab in order and said the Minnesota Wild were going to finish second. You had them finishing maybe just a tad lower uh, in third uh, in the central division. Has it Effective, been a, I effectively had St. Louis and Minnesota flip-flopped. Has it been a successful year for the wild? Can we say that? No. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, there's yeah, they, but they only, what, what did they go? 18, what are they? 18, three and three down the stretch or something like right. that. Insane. Here's the, here's where there's some truth to that though. The Minnesota Wild fan base does not care about the regular season right now. They haven't mm-hmm. for a while. They want to care about getting past the first round. And honestly, Noah, if they can get past the St. Louis Blues, yeah. I don't know of another Western Conference team that I'm scared of. I'm yeah. really not. Um, we've had Seriously. our way with Colorado in terms of staying with them. 
Um, obviously, we swung in right with Calgary. In fact, I think we controlled a lot of that game against the Flames. Um, they're, to me, one of the better teams in the Pacific. Uh, I, Edmonton does not scare me. Um, if somehow LA is able to upset anybody, eh, whatever. Um, so I'm just, I don't know. I just, I feel like our Western conference final is this, is this series against St. Louis. This is our kryptonite in a team that unfortunately, um, has had our number all season in the regular season. And that scares me a little bit. Yeah, it's definitely uh, an interesting matchup. I think the other one that the wild would not want to get is probably Nashville. That's the other team in the central that, yep. Could end up in the Wilds bracket should they find a way against Colorado. Although uh, a UC Sorrowless Nashville, I think, is going to have a very uphill um, task. I think it's Connor Connor Ingram and David Riddick that uh, um, have a chance to man the pipes. And Connor Ingram has played in two playoff games uh, total in his career. And David Riddick is like... very bad in his, or they catch fire and all of a sudden you know you have the, yeah. the hottest goalie and then they're the cinderella team so who knows yeah colorado has been slumping a little bit as of late but they kind of had first place locked up for a, for a very long time so i, I don't, don't know how too much, much stock into exactly that. no so well I, why don't we start with the west um of course like i said i filled out my bracket uh i do have colorado being nashville in six uh in the first round i think Nashville might put up a better fight than people are going to give them um, I think it might maybe take Colorado a game to maybe warm up. Nashville might steal the first one. And then after that, I think Colorado is going to kind of get their rear in gear and they're going to punch their ticket to the second round. I do have the Minnesota wild on this side of the bracket, punching their ticket in seven games against St. Louis. I think for whatever reason, I think this team is going to do it. If they can get past the physicality and the way that St. Louis likes to really kind of clog up the middle um, and really kind of stymie the offense of Minnesota, if they can find a way to just continue to produce, I think the wild are going to be just fine. And if they can avoid the injury bug, because it's going to be a very heavy physical series on top of that. And a question mark of who's going to be healthy for game one, but Nick out of this bracket, who comes out of the first couple of series um, I think Colorado does have Nashville, but I don't think it takes them six. It takes them five. Um, I think Colorado has more pressure on them than people realize. Uh, they're going to have a lot of roster decisions in terms of the cap and some, and some signings coming up. And I think, uh, I don't think it's going to take them a game. I think they know where if the bat, this is Nathan McKinnon and that squad, they're going to be ready to go, uh, for game one. And I think Colorado understands that this is probably going to be their their last best chance to do to make a deep run for the cup before um, this roster is going to need a little bit of overhaul. I don't see Nazem Kadri returning. He's going to get paid some handsome bucks by probably Chuck Fletcher for nine years because that's the <laughs> way Chuck Fletcher goes uh, and go from there. So no avalanche in five. Oh boy. I, this series is so hard. <laughs> the, the wild and St. Louis series is difficult. Now what, I think can favor Minnesota over a seven game series is if they continue to push St. Louis in terms of getting out of that trap style and trying to open the ice up a little bit. However, if Minnesota changes its identity and goes back to that heavy bruising style, we've shown that we can sort of play that game, but we're not uh, successful in that type of a game that's kind of a recipe for like a game five that that you're struggling but your goaltender has kept you in it and you're just looking for a bounce you know yeah and you might need one of those in that series you probably do uh villy huso has been unbelievable for st louis uh essentially taking over the number one spot from jordan bennington who Mm -hmm. has looked like utter crap um so 
I guess go and sweep the leg of, of Billy Houston. No, I'm kidding. Don't do that. That's cheap. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no, I love our goaltending tandem. I'm so curious of Mark Andre Fleury a little bit, just because to me, he's a goaltender that I think he needs consistency in his game. And they've been going back and forth and I get it, you're trying to stay healthy, but I think, if your plan was to start Mark Andre Fleury for game one, I think you need to give him at least two or three games in a row the regular yeah. season to get him Cam, really in top shape. Yeah, but Cam Talbot has just been too good. He has been. That's it's but, you know, so it just begs the question why we then start. It's nothing against Fleury. Well, yeah. again, I, I it's nothing about that. But if anyways, I just don't understand it. Anyways, you know, so, you know, you know, it's interesting. We did run a poll at the Huskies Warming House podcast on Twitter and 70% of our pollers did select Cam Talbot as the starter for game one. So, mm-hmm. um, and I, I, I tend to concur. Um, I, I really do. Cam Talbot has just been too good. I think it's his net until otherwise, I feel very good about the fact that Mark Andre Fleur could come in, uh, and be able to be just fine. I think in this series, you know, he's not Ilya Brzgalov. Um, thank God, you know, although Ilya Brzgalov for, for what it was worth performed in the playoffs better than some other goaltenders that were starters. So, um, and he was the third string as well. Yeah. To his credit. Um, but nonetheless, uh, so, um, who are you picking in this series? Uh, who gets a dance with Colorado and who ultimately (sighs) makes the conference final in this bracket? Hmm. I'll tell you one thing, game one of this series, and it's not about who wins and loses. It's how this, how the game is played is so important to determine how the series is going to get played out in terms of adjustments. Um, If you're Minnesota, if you can find a way to open the ice in game one, even if you don't win the hockey game, um, you've set yourself up for success in a long series. I do think it's wild at seven. I hope it's not seven games. I hope it's a lot quicker than that, but this is going to be a very tight series. Um, And again, it's going to be a battle of just pure attrition coming down to, well, past game three. It's going to be just an absolute battle. Um, And I do like Minnesota against Colorado. I just do. I think uh, for those listening at TNT, I do like the depth of Minnesota um, over Colorado. Um, I also do like our goaltending depth. Um, Darcy Kemper is their X factor with Colorado. But again, when you have the one, two duo of Talbot and Mark Andre Fleury, um, I just, I, I find that to just be another just confidence booster for this club. I like their depth on defense a bit better. Yes. They've got Kale McCarr. Uh, but beyond that, I mean, who else really impresses you on the Colorado blue line that, you know, can really spark and skate. I, I love Jonas Brudini as a shutdown defenseman. Um, he's going to be paired with, you know, against Nathan McKinnon, Landis Gog and, um, and Miko Ratnan the entire time that that line is on the ice. So I, I like Minnesota in that series too. And I'm thinking it's going to be six games for that. Yeah. One. Yeah, um, well, you know, as long as Minnesota can shut down the knee of uh, Curtis McDermott, they'll be fine. Um, I definitely, Oops. I yeah, I definitely agree. Um, I think Minnesota does punch their tickets to the conference finals for the second time in franchise history, and who else to beat but the Colorado Avalanche on that run? Why not? Shall we? Um, Let's hope we don't have to come back from three one to do it though. Yeah, seriously. But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we only need one seven game series, and it's probably going to be against St. Louis. So uh, one is enough, I think. Um, on the other side, Pacific Division uh, plus the Dallas Stars, if you will. Uh, the Calgary Flames getting Dallas. Uh, I got Calgary in five. They are a wagon. They, this is a team that is absolutely built for the playoffs. They're, They're scary. So good. They're, They're so good. Stupidly scary. Daryl Sutter has coached this team. Johnny Goudreau, 
oh had the quietest 115-point season I think I've ever heard of. Like, I, I honestly don't understand how he is not – think about this. He's a little brother of Edmonton, that's right. So when you got Connor McDavid three hours north, I mean, that's it's, – it's unfortunate that – you know, he's just, he's not the flashiest player. He's one of the smarter players in yeah. terms of finding space and, and potting goals. And, you know, it does, he's got one of the best setup men, Elias Lindholm too on his line. And he's got Matthew Kachuk as well, helping him out. That's a very good line. Yeah. Um, and like you said, very underrated um, because they, again, they're not like the flashy Trevor Zegers type, but they just, they know how to cycle in out of fine open space and they just execute. They're the best top line in college or college hockey. And, in college and it, hockey. They're really good in college <laughs> hockey, but they're even better in the show. Um, I, I guess I think the only college hockey it might be a 200 point season if they were in college there, Noah. Yeah, I think the only college hockey player would be Mr. Johnny Hockey in that group. But how about this? That entire line is in the top 30 in scoring. The the lowest scorer on that line is Lindholm with 82 points. He's got 42. He's got 40 goals. Season. Yeah, like <laughs> that's the same. Matthew Kachuk is eighth at 104, and Johnny Goudreau and Jonathan Hubero are tied for second at 115 in the league. Like that's that's insane it's to nuts. me. So um, yeah, they're a scary hockey team through and through. They've got good goaltending. That's the one thing that was the knock on them going through is that is that uh, you know in years past they did not have a goaltender that could keep in it. Uh, Markstrom has been an exceptional pickup for this uh, Flame squad uh, moving throughout his career. So I got them over the Dallas Stars of Fives. Dallas just can't score. They've got no, no. potency on offense, uh, but they do have Ryan Suter who will log 37 minutes in each game. So um, don't worry. Um, on the other side of that. Um, I do have the Edmonton Oilers in five over the LA Kings. The LA is, was not a powerhouse to me to begin with, especially down the season and a drew Doughty list LA Kings is a whole lot of trouble for that, for that group. So I think yeah. Edmonton gets the job done in that. And I do think the Calgary flames punched their ticket to the conference final Edmonton's good, but Calgary, I don't want to be the prototypical guy and pick the favorite, but Calgary is just that good this season. And I think they do put it together. I think this core is ready. I, I think Edmonton takes it in seven. Ooh, okay. um, and here's why Edmonton's goaltending is a laughing stock. Um, and so there's well, an, there's an X factor there that LA could expose. Um, yes. Having not drew Dowdy in the back end for LA does hurt them a little bit, but I don't think it's going to hurt them as much, um, you know, down the stretches. I think we're giving it credit for, because again, uh, Mike Smith and that Miko Koskinen, uh, I mean, you could, you could have a board, um, there and they have a better save percentage than those two combined some nights. Yeah. So, um, My, uh, for those who are wondering, by the way, Mike Smith has a nine one five and a two eight one JA and has been exceptional down the stretch though. In the second half of the season, he's been lights out. So I don't know, man. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. I'm still not convinced because of the playoffs have seen to unravel. That's just the way they've we'll been as of late. So we'll but, see. But do, do you trust, do you trust Cal Peterson? I think Cal Peterson's a capable goaltender. Um, I think he has, you know, been able to, to make, you know, some key saves for LA down the stretch as well. But if he has to do it, a shift after shift, he's going to, he's going to get worn out way too quick. And I think that's where it's going to be, um, you know, the, the, the team who has the biggest or the, the most puck possession in that series um, offensively is what's going to carry that. And um, if you can stay out of the box too, and keep that lethal Edmonton power play off of uh, off the ice too, that's huge because when dry settle and McDavid um, are on the ice uh, together on that PP, it's just, that's not fun for anybody. So, yeah. So you got you got Edmonton and Calgary moving on. Who comes yep. out of the Battle of Alberta Calgary. to punch their ticket? Yep. Calgary, and what a Battle of Alberta that 
will be holy hell that will be some fun yes. some fun hockey and you know you talked about Jacob Markstrom the Calgary really hasn't had a, a playoff quality goaler since Mika Kiprasov uh back yeah. you know in the early two mid 2000s and um I thought Kiprasov was uh, a very exceptional goaltender Markstrom's just that much better um yeah. he's had a good great second year I think he was still adjusting a bit last year really wasn't comfortable i don't think um he's comfortable now and holy cow this is the goaltender mm. that the flames fans thought they were getting in that trade and uh holy cow that's it <laughs> he's he's a tough guy to beat um yeah minnesota and calgary for the western final is going to be absolutely yeah. phenomenal so my prediction for that i do believe the calgary flames get the upper edge i think over a seven game series i this team they're just too deadly to me minnesota's had a heck of a year i think this is where the wilds run ends i hope my bracket's totally wrong i hope i'm completely wrong um i think the flames do punch their ticket to the stanley cup final for the first time since 2004 flower power <laughs> this is where this is where mock mark on Fleury can make a difference here um not to take anything from Cam Talbot, but Flurry has the ability to come in and steal you a hockey game. Mm. And I think with Calgary, now granted, yes, between Goudreau, uh, Lindholm, Kachuk, we've already talked about. Uh, some and, of the depth and, and a Daryl Sutter press conference, mind you. And some of the death they have with, you know, Mangiapani <laughs> and some others that they have. Uh, to me, the, the, the advantage I think Minnesota has actually is on the defensive end uh, against Calgary in terms of their mm-hmm. offensive abilities. Um, you know, w- with Matt Dumba back in the lineup, Spurgeon back, you've got the ability for guys to come in. I mean, for Calgary, who do they, who do they have? Was it, you know, Noah Hannafin that maybe slightly offensive? Like, I don't know. I just don't yeah. find a lot of offensive ability from their decor. Um, now mind you, um, you know, Calgary does a lot by themselves up front with their forward group, but yeah, you know, Ras- I think Ras- Rasmus Anderson has 82 points this season. Does he really? He's got f- or excuse me, sorry, he's got 50 points, but still, I was gonna say he, that can't he, be. He, he's sitting fifth, he's five points behind Andrew Maggiapani. Yeah, so I mean, yeah. at, at the end of it, sure, but I just they don't scare me as much. I think that I think there is an advantage to be had for Minnesota on the back end. Um, and I think the one trick to Calgary is similar to St. Louis, where there's a bit of an edge to Calgary's game. If you can stay away from the shenanigans of Matthew Kachuk, who knows how to play the game within the game, as you and I both know, Noah, um, if you can keep him honest like that, um, and that's where Mark, you know, guys like Marcus Foligno, Nick Delorier are huge. You know, that pickup by for Nick Delorier has been really, really good. I think you'll see. Connor Dewark also being, you know, sort of uh, that dark horse, you know, being a, a, a bench yeah. player if needed be um, to provide, you know, that energy if need be in a series like this. I think Minnesota does have an advantage here. I think it's actually Minnesota that takes this in six games right. and they're going to punch their ticket to the first ever Stanley Cup final. Think about uh, think about Nick Delorier, what it's been like for him to come over to a playoff contender and a very good playoff contender after playing for the Ducks. I bet you he's just chomping at the bit to play some hockey. Seriously, he's never. Never had a career postseason appearance, so this would be his first ever playoff game. Yeah. Um, and he is his game is built for the yep. playoffs, so and you he's know, built for St. Louis, is really what he's built for. Yes, uh, a big reason why he was picked up, right? Is to you got to have a little bit of physicality. And in Dean Evanson, the way he's used that fourth line, I mean, they play a pretty good chunk of minutes, what 12 yes, to 14 minutes a night. Um, did, did you see that video? I, I think it was Alex Micheletti that um ended up tweeting it out, but of Nick Deloria, where the officials had to kind of pull him out of that scrum and he yep. was like i got four games with you man i got four games with you like he knows he's ready for it man and he is it's, it's gonna yeah. be exciting 
It is. And, you know, that's and this is where, again, like for Nick Delorier, the question is, how do you properly channel that emotion of your first playoff game? You know, he's got a job to do. And obviously, you know, is, is there going to be emotions? Are there going to be, you know, tussles and scrambles and all those things? Yes. But, you know, if, if you can stay away from those extracurriculars that can get you into the penalty box, um, even if that's offsetting, right? When Nick DeLore and that fourth line is together, that's a great fourth line. I mean, in grind, you have Nick Bukestad, you can come in and, and kind of switch out. But again, you know, they, they've got some guys out. You know, Matt Zuccarello still wasn't healthy as of yet. We're still waiting to know exactly how Marcus Foligno is doing. And that's that could be potentially a huge loss yeah. uh, for Minnesota, depending on, you know, what uh, what comes of that. So I, he's going to be an important piece for Minnesota on the ice. I think the biggest fear for Minnesota Wild fans, I think they just they don't want to have a repeat of what happened the last time they had an offensively successful season where the where the Blues bounced them in five and it wasn't a competitive series. I think if we're being honest with ourselves, if Minnesota loses an OT in game six or they lose by a goal in game seven and the Blues go on to win this series, we're not going to be happy. But I think we'll at least be content with the fact that this team did play a, a tough opponent and they played them to the very end i think that's what the wild fans would like obviously they like a sweep that would be great but like um, not gonna happen you know you know I, I just think that that's the fear for minnesota wild fans so i think that first game like you mentioned is going to be extremely important let's cruise through the side of the eastern conference and get to our stanley cup final shall we starting in the top part of that bracket the president's trophy winners the florida panthers against the wild card number two in the washington capitals uh i've got the florida panthers in six games in that one uh washington Same. washington just doesn't have enough firepower unfortunately for me um tampa bay toronto i have the Toronto Maple Leafs in seven games. Tampa in five. In five, man. Yep. Everybody is underestimating how good this Toronto team is. I'm they not have, underestimating they, them. They, I, have, they have to get goaltending, though. That's the problem is the the goaltending is the biggest question for Toronto and even more so the defense in front of them. Um, they're just, to me, that they don't have enough shutdown defensemen. And Tampa is a – they know how to move the puck around. And uh, let's say Tampa's had Toronto's number this year, also in the regular season. Yeah. So that, to me, is a big reason why. And to me, until Toronto – I'll pull it to you this way. If Toronto is able to actually get out of the series, they're instantly in the Eastern Conference Finals because they'll finally have a monkey up their back they've been trying to get rid of for over 20 years. But I still think there's going to be a lot of internal pressure on that organization to do something. And uh, – it's going to be quite the beast who's won back-to-back Stanley Cup championships. That's going to be hungry for a third. And uh, Tampa um, has also, we say, quietly have had a very successful season being somehow the younger brother or the yeah the two at the Florida this year. That's been uh, – how many times have we been able to say that recently? Not very often. So so I just want to throw this out there. Um, take, take it with a grain of salt what you will. Um, Andre Vasilevsky in six of his last starts has had a sub 900 save percentage and also has had one sub 800 goaltending percentage in his last starts dating back to March 27th. Um, I don't think he's been that great down the stretch. I don't know that he's been great all season. He still has a nine one six, um, but he is the same. He has the same numbers as Mike Smith this season. Um, if you want to throw that out there, I don't know that Vasilevsky has been the beast this season that we've been accustomed to in the past couple of years. Now, does that's that regular change? Season, does though. that change in the playoffs? But you just told me that Mike Smith's regular season 
also doesn't mean anything, you know, either. So it's like it doesn't, you know, so it's like, do they does Mike? I Smith, trust Vasilevsky over Mike Smith in a playoff game. Well, obviously, but I'm I'm just saying, you know, I think Toronto has a better shot in this series. And honestly, here's why Toronto has absolutely nothing to lose in this series. Nothing actually. They have nothing. They're playing the two time Stanley defending Stanley Cup champions. They're not looking at the right way. No way. There's no wrong way to look at this, Nick. Toronto has no pressure. They haven't gotten past the first round since whatever it's been 2003, 2004. Everyone knows that. But if there's one team besides the Florida Panthers that I would be okay with losing to, it's the Tampa Bay Lightning. Like tell that to the Toronto fan base as to GM Kyle Dubas his job. I, you, I think his job is on the line. To be honest, the chatter that I hear from Toronto fans is they're feeling more relaxed about this series than uh, pretty much any series in the past decade. I think that they're all right with this matchup because Tampa. I mean, good I guess they're not in Bo- they're not playing Boston, so that's a positive. Yeah, well, I've got I've got Tampa or, or excuse me, I got Toronto in seven. Regardless, our two teams will meet the Florida Panthers. I think the Florida Panthers punch their ticket to the conference finals. Uh, yep. You agree? Um, yep. Okay, taking care of Tampa on your side. So regardless, Florida still punches their ticket on that side. On the bottom half of the bracket, the Carolina Hurricanes in seven games do beat the Boston Bruins. In my particular opinion, I think Boston might give them a little more run for their money uh, than we're willing to admit. I don't think Boston is particularly healthy. Um, at, this, at this particular stage, but I don't know that Carolina has impressed me down the stretch. Um, New York Rangers beat the Pittsburgh Penguins in five. This one I had a tough time with. The, I could see the Rangers very easily winning this series, but I still have Carolina hanging on for the victory to go to the conference final. So uh, Carolina um, for sure. All right. Do, do you have the Rangers beating the, the Penguins too? I'm I do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Penguins uh, Car- are beat up. Yeah, Carolina, Florida, conference finals. I have, I have the Florida Panthers punching their ticket. You have the Minnesota Wild in this matchup. Yes, I do. I, I have the Calgary Flames. I think the Calgary Flames win their first Stanley Cup since 1989 over the Florida Panthers. Minnesota wins its first ever Stanley Cup. Mark it down. All right, everyone hates somebody's Florida. Somebody's <laughs> winning their first ever Stanley Cup Yeah, in that matchup. Yeah, uh, well, yeah, for the Minnesota matchup, yes. Uh, um, Nick? When is uh, the last time, uh, the only time that the Florida Panthers have been in the Stanley Cup final? What year? That was recently. That was 19. It was the year of the Colorado Avalanche's first ever Stanley Cup. Was that 96? It was 96. Noah Grant yes. was not even alive yet. Uh, um, so, yeah, I was a December 96 birthday. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, – it's going to be interesting. I think this Calgary team is just too good. Um, I think and that this- was an overtime. That was an overtime. Yeah. Winner too. It was that Yuri well, Krupp. Well, yeah, but it, I mean, it was four nothing. <laughs> the series. Yeah, but still, yeah, Florida I mean, didn't have a sniff. But I mean, yeah. Uh, regardless, um, let's go back to that clutch and grab. Heck with the fly zone NHL stuff, Nick. Um, but to wrap up the show, Minnesota Wild, St. Louis Blues. We've touched on some points already. Final thoughts. What do the wild ultimately have to do to win this series and get out of the first round? They got to keep it a skating series. They do um, as much as they can. Um, They have to stay out of the, out of the, uh, the scrambles as much as they can. I I know St. Louis with Barube. They love that game within the game. Um, They're going to try to get under your skin. They're going to try to slow things down. Um, The one thing about Minnesota in, in this season, and I think, 
I haven't seen this in years past. Have they been able to adjust and play different styles and be successful? Yes. Um, so I do like that. Um, but got to stay out of the box too. Uh, their PK has not been great. Let's be honest. Minnesota's PK has been pretty bad, actually. They're sub 75%, if I recall correctly, on the season. Um, so you got to be able to use the speed puck possession. We're then down with the possession and the shots on that. Um, and I think you do have to kind of get into Huso's kitchen a bit, um, you know, with any goaltender in the playoffs. And it all goes down to those grease pan goals. Thank you, Dave Shayak, uh, for that. Uh, but that's what it comes down to. You're going to be able, be able to get those dirty areas, be able to take a little bit of punishment legally, right? I'd love to see how they call the cross checks in the playoffs. That's right. <laughs> They're going to call a damn thing. But anyways, yeah. so, but, you know, but work the corners to work below the goal lines. If you can get and wear them down just by making them defend a bunch, I think you can turn the ties in your favor. Whereas if St. Louis gets, especially that top line, O'Reilly, um, Tarasenko, David Perron, just name a few guys, if they start getting that cycle going, um, it could easily go the other way. So uh, that's what you have to do. You have to maintain control of the puck, get it 200 feet, um, and try to wear them down with defending. Yeah, I think the Wild, they can't change the way that they play. They obviously have to be defensively responsible, but they can't shy away from what's gotten them here. And that's been creative but not too cute in the sense but just being right. willing to create enough offense to create enough havoc and that's led to the production that this minnesota wild has seen that's been unprecedented in franchise history so it's going to be an exciting series for those of you who are wondering it does start on monday um the games are every other day all the way through all the way to game seven if needed and i say if needed because it probably will be needed um but nonetheless, first two games are in Minnesota uh, on Monday and Wednesday, both of those 830 start times. Um, I that might be I, I that's got to be Eastern time. It has to be right. Probably. I don't I, I just I have the small calendar pulled up, so it's 830. It's either Eastern or Central. I I, I have a feeling that would be that's Central Eastern. time. 830 Eastern, I think. Yeah, yeah, 730 Central is what I, is what I mean to say. Like I, it, I an 830 start time in the Central would be kind of odd. Um but yes, uh, St. Louis uh, will follow on that Friday and on that Sunday. So what does that mean for our show? We will be back. I think we're probably going to record Saturday night, the 7th, right in between those two games, game three and game four. I think maybe we'll probably be sure we can try that. Yeah, We'll probably maybe be what we're going to try to do at least. So uh, that third game, game three will be 830 in St. Louis. Game four on that Sunday will be at 3.30 p.m. Uh, Eastern time. So uh, keep your tabs on that one. Game five, if needed, in Minnesota, that will be the following Tuesday. Game six, if needed, in St. Louis, the following Thursday. And game seven would be on Saturday the 14th in Minnesota if the series goes the difference. So support the Minnesota Wild. Definitely be active. Tweet us on Twitter if you have any questions. We'd love to hear what you think of the series, and we will be covering it all. Nick, anything else to add for episode 109? No, we good. Yeah, seriously, go Minnesota Wild uh, and tune in for game number one on Monday. That will do it for us, and we will see you back in the den for episode number 110. And your one-timer coming, they score!
is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.